Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. This episode of the Catalyst Podcast is a continuation of my mini-series of successful functional medicine clinics. Today, you're going to meet Dr. Mirto Ash, MD, MPH. She originally trained as a family physician and practiced 20 years in community health centers in Massachusetts, California, and Colorado. After noticing the failure of a conventional medical approach to improve symptoms for a close family member, she began to study alternatives to medications and to try some of these practices on herself and her family. The near immediate improvement in everyone's health was so compelling that in 2011, she decided to orient her entire practice around functional medicine. Mirto is certified in functional medicine by the Institute for Functional Medicine, and her consultation-based practice is located in California. Now, listen, this is such a fun interview because we touched on elements. Uh, You're going to learn how she has a connection with Mark Hyman, and it's really cute to hear her story, which inspired her to look back into her own medical journey. You'll hear some of the tips that she used in developing her micro practice, why packages didn't work for her, her and her patients, and how she then transitioned into a monthly membership or subscription style type practice. Dr. Mirto is inspiring, is a mom, and is all things that you would expect from a very intelligent, wise, functional medicine practitioner. So tune in to this amazing interview with Dr. Mirto Ash. This is a wonderful edition of the Catalyst Podcast in my mini series on running successful functional medicine clinics. And I'm so delighted to talk to Dr. Mirto Ash. I'm saying this again, you know, as somebody who my name is always mispronounced, I'm very careful trying to pronounce someone's name, but she is a, she's a doctor mom of three, uh, just had her last one go to college. And I totally feel that. And this kind of heart centered approach of this gem of a woman, you are going to love hearing our conversation because we're going to talk about her escape from medicine and then refining it again. And I've been a fan of hers for many years online uh, through functional medicine Facebook groups and just watching how every one of us takes care of patients. Um, so I'm so delighted that you have time today to spend with us, with us, Mirto. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Lara, for putting this together and giving people inspiration. Yes. So let's go pedal back. I mean, you've been a doctor mom, you've been, um, you know, in medicine. Are you clinically a family practice trained internal medicine? Tell us your conventional background a little bit. Um, I'm I'm family practice trained. Um, And I practiced uh, family medicine in community health centers for 20 years, between 1990. Actually, we started working in community health centers in residency. And I really was passionate about that. That was my thing. And so I worked in a number of places in Massachusetts and then in California, also in Colorado for a few years, all in community health centers. And I quit practicing in uh, 2000, oh, I forget now, eight, 2008, um, when I was in Colorado, I stopped practicing entirely for a couple of years. Ooh, okay. That's that's a cliffhanger. I want to get to that moment in a, in a bit. But for those listening that don't know what a community health center is, I know in our residency program in Michigan and Western Michigan, we also had community health centers and I love them as well. Can you just describe what makes a health center a community health center? Um, I think that it's, um, well, uh, so it's a place for low-income people to get care, often free at the point of care. Many of them will have Medi-Cal or Medicaid, um, and then some of them will be self-pay. And so uh, the doctors there are typically on salary. um, And so you have the staff that's already chosen for you and you sort of plug and play. You walk in, you see people, you become their person, and uh, it's your your job to, um, to shepherd them through um, whatever they're going on in, in life and you know, whatever a doctor can do to help 
or uh, some of them have multidisciplinary teams. So we had social workers, people who would do um, one place I worked at for the longest uh, was a clinic that served mostly a homeless population in San Francisco. It's called Tamodel Health Center. And there we prided ourselves on our multidisciplinary team. New patients saw the social worker first because there was no point in trying to, um, it, it was the corner, she was, and she, or he was the cornerstone of the team. But we also had health workers. We had people who would walk out in the streets under the bridges, find people, create a connection with them, and eventually they would be inspired to come see us. So it was, um, it was really cool. I loved working there. Oh, that sounds beautiful. A true labor of love and a, an example of how in medicine, when your values are aligned with the mission of the place that you're working for, it's even if the work is hard and challenging, and I'm sure at some points heartbreaking, you know, um, you yeah. are there to to really feel like you're you're putting back into your community, you're you're you have a mission and a vision. And so I'm sure that, that those were some very high highs and some very low lows, I would imagine. Um, having a system and a flow, how you describe where there's a point of contact first, like a social worker to kind of see what you know services are in the area and then having them connect with a, like a health liaison. Um, what were some of the other takeaways that you remember that worked so well in, in a community health center? Well, I think what I would say, well, there were a couple of interesting things. One was that um, as a um, you know, person from a privileged background who went to private school, private girl school, no less, um, it was really incredibly sheltered in a way. And I had no idea what was going on out there. And so it was incredibly eye-opening. And I felt like I was learning from people um, about how to be even relevant to them. And so that was a big part of the takeaway. Even as a resident, you know, I had, um, you know, through my family practice residency, I had, um, you know, I, you kind of go into medicine thinking that people are coming to get your opinion, your advice. They want to know what you think. Um, and then in a homeless health clinic, especially, you find yourself completely irrelevant to many people's lives. Um, I remember asking this woman, you know, what a scar, on, you know, the scar on her back and, you know, you get curious and you kind of want to know and get a full history. So I just said, oh, you have a big scar back here. And she says, yeah, that's from where my ex-husband knifed me. So I'm like, okay, I was thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm like, right. well, I'm in this new reality and I better, I better be relevant because I have a responsibility to these people. So that was one thing. And the other thing I wanted to say was, Lives were chaotic there, and our no-show rate um, when uh, actually I volunteered to calculate it, and so I figured out what it was because no one had previously done the calculation. It was forty-five percent no-show rate. Oh my goodness! And so um, the people who came, um, you had a choice: you could sit around and twiddle your thumbs in between patients, or you could just talk to people until the next person comes. And so we had these luxurious, beautiful. 30 to 40 minute point, however long until the next person showed up really appointments and um i learned a lot from those i learned a lot from just letting the conversation flow um and i think that later when i had a job at a different community health center where there was no no show rate and all 11 people came every half day um and I, the only thought in my head was how do i get out of here in 10 minutes um, yeah. I really, the contrast was, was, was really, um, w was really striking. And, and wow. uh, so anyway, so I'm really so grateful that I had that time with people. Um, I used to have um, medical students from UCSF come and rotate, especially one place that I have volunteered to supervise students was in a uh, homeless shelter that occurred on, in evenings, a homeless women's shelter. And the students would arrive and I would say, okay, so one rule here, you need to spend as long as possible with people. There will be no other rotation where you will be told this. And here, what I expect to see from you is if they give you the, unless they leave, unless they get up and leave, <laughs> you think of something else to ask or talk oh. about. And so wow. it was, it was, uh, you can hear people's stories, you know, you chat, you make friends, I don't know, you connect, you connect with people. 
So that yeah, is incredible. Passionate about that. And so it is interesting to think that that was something I treasured so much. And now I have the same thing. It's like, I am allowed. I decide I'm the boss. If I want to have a longer appointment and charge less for it, I can. If I want, you know, to whatever, whatever I think is, is needed and useful. This is so beautiful in many ways, because in my own journey, and you mentioned this, you know, a lot of us end up in a career in medicine in different ways, for different reasons, for different value systems and worldviews. But one commonality is we're passionate about health. I can't imagine a doctor I would find that isn't passionate about medicine or health in some way, because we're interested, we're fascinated with the human body and the potential for healing. And sometimes we assume everybody else is just as passionate. And I, you, <laughs> yeah. touched, you touched on this really, really in a very interesting and wise way when you said, you know, it's, it's, you learned that, you know, sometimes we're not relevant, you know, oh, you know, hello, a doctor's up on this pedestal, our ego, you know, thinking everybody wants our information and wants to be healthy. And you know what, it's a luxury to want to feel healthy at times. And you're meeting populations of people that have been so disenfranchised and had inequality and such trauma. And sometimes, you know, that takes a few steps back and knocks the wind out of our sails to say, oh, you know, I have to find ways where I can help inspire and maybe be relevant at any scale, any little or large bit in that person's life. And I, I would imagine as a medical student, I would have loved to learn in that rotation. I bet you changed lives and inspired a lot of students to go down this path using their skills in different ways. No, oh, I hope so. I hope so. We had one who ended up, um, I guess I, I also maybe, I don't remember, there was a project as part of that. It might've been UCSF that assigned it. Um, and she decided to teach a yoga class to the women in the shelter loved it they loved it they couldn't they couldn't wait to do yoga with her once a week so that's beautiful and and i see this replicating on scale so this is the issue with a lot of health and wellness especially in this elite wellness sphere for many years functional medicine was was always reserved for this elite and you'd pay these tens of thousand dollars of packages for and and it just wasn't able to serve communities you know you might benefit if if let's say you're lucky to have somebody in your family that had one of those packages and learned some of the skills and brought it home. But really, it was difficult for me as a family practitioner to look at how I could justify leaving a practice in a rural setting and then go into this elite structure. And so you've done this, though. You've decided, you know, I am, I'm served time in this community care, and now you're offering functional medicine. Tell me about that bridge, that transition. You alluded to the fact there was a pivot point where you said, you know, I want to do something different. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so, so I quit. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened in, in Colorado um, was that they started bringing in consultants to, to, I don't know, change, improve um, the functioning of the clinic. Um, and one of the things that happened when they brought in the consultants that they started to have, you know, the problem that you start to belong to a group. I mean, if there was two or three different clinics, so you start to belong to a bigger group and it's not, you anymore and it the the administrators start to take i think more and more space but anyway it felt that way and one of the things that they instituted was um that we had to see patients at regular intervals i mean it sounds obvious but until then my um schedule had been front loaded in the morning i had decided to front load it in the morning so in the morning patients were scheduled every 15 minutes for the first hour and then it would start to space out and then I would have an hour before lunch because that's never what happens. People come in any kind of weird, you know, yes. Anyway, they're late and their extra ones insert themselves. And that structure was the only way that I could actually be done so that I would have a half hour lunch. And when you started to space them all out every 20 minutes in the morning, I would just miss lunch. Mm-hmm. Every single day I would miss lunch. And so um, I got really, really sick of that. It really felt like I, you know, the, 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 the point was to, because the morning patients would wait longer than, the early morning patients would wait longer than the late morning patients if you do the funny front-loading thing that I had come up with for myself. Um, but to do them, you know, the, the other way, I sacrificed something every single day where you know previously people had sacrificed something but it was different people on different days and i felt like that was better spread out anyway for me um and one day i arrived um i couldn't finish my charts the whole the whole day would fall apart 
And so one day I lived not too far from clinic. And so I left, you know, I, I left to go home and do dinner with my kids and bedtime. And then I got back in the car at 11 o'clock at night to go and finish my charts. Oh. And I arrived at the clinic thinking to myself, you know, it's me, you know, I'm a mom. I don't sleep well. I'm slow. All these excuses I had for why it was my fault that the charts were piling up. When I arrived at the clinic, there was a young woman there who was uh, not married, single, no kids. And she was doing charts at 11 o'clock at night at the clinic. And that so day, you had a control group. You were like, wait a second. Enough <laughs> <laughs> already with the self-recrimination. No, the problem is the clinic. Yeah. And I'm not going to fix it because they're the problem. And so far have been, you know, closed to really our feedback. And this is happening to all of us. And um, it's not it's not sustainable this way. I mean, as long as you think it's you, you think maybe you can improve. But if someone else is at fault, then, you know, I lost I lost hope. Oh, my goodness. I am going to quit. I am not yes. going to be a doctor anymore. I'm going to be home. I'm going to be a mom. That's all. I, I can understand that you you basically described one of the three facets of burnout, which is a lack of autonomy, feeling like you're not making a difference anymore, feeling hopeless and helpless that you have no say in any of those decisions at a higher level. And we're seeing this more and more. Everyone grasping at straws and how to help doctors not become burnout. So they they hire consultants, which in some instances they do uncover a lot of inefficiencies and that's great. But you're an example of one size doesn't fit all. And the way we work with our own cadence of energy and the way we like to streamline our efforts might be different than our neighbor down the hall with their office. And and so allowing you to say, hey, this system worked well for me. I was able to take care of myself and then have somebody come in and clean house and say, no, we're exactly. we're doing it our way, you know. Um, yeah, because their priority was, you know, some metric that someone else came up with, which is that patients should not wait more than a certain level, you know, that that's that's consumer, you know, basically. Oh, yes, you're absolutely right. right. That Those yeah. metrics. So how did you, okay, so tell me a little bit more down that journey. You left, you basically uh -huh. said, I'm done. Then yeah. what happened? One interesting thing that was happening to me at the time is I was having pain on my left sits bone. <laughs> Whenever I sat, I would be hurting there and I couldn't sit. And the place that hurt the most was the little um, the little padded stools that we have in the end. <laughs> yeah, that would hurt the most. And so I ended up going to an orthopedist who wanted to inject it with steroids. I'm like, no, I don't think so. The day I decided to leave, the pain started to get better. And then it got better and better and better. And I thought that was my get off your behind signal. You cannot stay here. You need to. Oh my God. <laughs> literally the body, the body knows, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. your body was literally telling yeah. you. Because I had to give him, you know, a two month notice. You can't just leave as a doctor. Right? So in those two months, that pain was completely resolved. So that was um, pretty, I thought, I, I realized I was on the right track. Um, so I, we had a bunch of, um, you know, medical issues at the house. At the time, I had a little boy with trouble speaking. Um, he had uh, childhood aphasia, uh, apraxia of speech, um, and also a boy with uh, attention deficit, which we didn't know at the time. Um, the year I quit, 2008, was a you know, meltdown <laughs> in the um, So that was an interesting time. I spent a lot of time on the internet, actually. Um, and then I also decided to do local food. I read uh, Barbara Kingsolver's book, Animal Vegetable Miracle, and decided the house was going to eat local. And so um, I was very involved with that, blogging as well. I had my own, uh, my first uh, website and blogged. And so I got interested in, you know, what if, if you start to eat local, you might as well eat healthy. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. what's the point of eating local? You're not going to look for local sugar. Right. So, yeah. So I got into local fruits and vegetables and local healthier things and local organic. And so I got into I, I started reading more about health, that sort of health. Yeah. Where before, you know, I mean, I was always interested in diet, but this was more. I yes. was more, more focused on that um, that way. And uh, then so after a while, I guess it was 2010, the year we all kind of got something wrong with us. Um, I twisted my ankle and my son got diagnosed with ADHD and my other son was getting, I don't know, daily speech therapy. Right. <laughs> to this program that was alternative and it was, you know, a lot of work. So anyway, I um, we realized after a while that the meds weren't working. 
for ADHD and um, causing a lot of side effects. We didn't even realize there were side effects, but the thing wasn't working for us. So I got online and started reading, just like all the patients do, uh, ADHD without drugs. How did you do this without medication? Um, and then around the same time, we moved from Cal Colorado back to California, and my marriage fell apart. So I was then uh, divorced and um, realized that I wasn't going to be able to stay a, 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 a full-time mom, mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. Later on, I started to call it that, but I needed to be a full-time mom and a full-time doctor. Right, right. It's not- Yes, even, and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not even that you're going to shortchange one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was at the library one day just grabbing books with the kids and I came upon a book on a shelf that was Mark Hyman's book. If Mark Hyman's someone I have history with because we went to the Soviet Union together in 1985, um, we toured, um, we were part of a group called the International Physicians for Prevention of Nuclear War. Oh my goodness. And we went to a conference, um, an international conference in Hungary, and then um, onward to two weeks in the Soviet Union, where we toured with 24 other medical students from six different countries and uh, became friends. So I knew him. And so he had, in fact, come to my house after my first son was born. And I was telling him about how I had um, low blood sugar that I had to be tested for the three-hour glucose because my one-hour was high and the three-hour glucose was, was low. I, my my three-hour was 35. Um, and the doctor said I was fine. And he shook his head and he said, that's early diabetes. You need to watch that. And I just brushed him off like, oh, it's <laughs> crazy thoughts. How can that be a problem with your glucose? Anyways, so then when I saw his book on the shelf and I thought, oh, I wonder what Mark he's up to. You know, so oh, I read cute. the book and I read it and there was, it was a book about weight loss because that was kind of my my thing that I was looking for. Um, and in one table, in one corner of one table, it said that attention deficit disorder was caused by neuroinflammation. And I'm like, oh, he made that up. What is, what is even <laughs> neuroinflammation? <laughs> what kind? But we have the internet. So I read up on yeah. it and I'm like, well, it's a thing and it is caused by neuroinflammation. And then I read the Ultramind solution. And then I thought, you know what? It would be amazing to do this. I don't know if I'm smart enough. And I don't know, I, I'm terrible at trying to have my own business. And I can't do this, but this would be amazing to do because first of all, it's a lot more fun. Yes. And it seems like it would work a lot better. And I would have a lot of flexibility. I was going to model my practice on my ex-husband's psychiatry practice. Like Ooh. which is a micro practice, one okay. person, uh, maybe with some help from like one other person mm -hmm. <laughs> to see people as I wanted to. And I thought I could do that if I if I learned functional medicine. So I, I jumped it. in and I worked on um, myself and and my son. Um, I started. A, I did Mark's Mark had a, at the time he had like an eight week uh, elimination diet online. And every day he had a little podcast or a little um, blurb or something to read every day. So that became sort of the organizing principle of my day. I would drop off the kids at school. I would go home. I would watch my little Mark Hyman blurb. And then I would try to figure out how to eat, you know, gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, which was completely uh, ridiculous. I, you know, something I had never thought of. And then I would read the Ultramind. I read it all over again. And I paused every time that there was um, something that I had not heard before or known of before, and I researched it. So I got into the habit of finding articles on things and trying to see if their research makes sense and putting the story together in that way. Um, I got, I, this was stunning what happened to me when I went gluten-free, dairy-free. My asthma disappeared, my joint pain disappeared, and I lost 15 pounds. It was unbelievable, really. I thought where, you know, really it's a shame that I haven't known this my entire medical career. So many people could have benefited. One of the main problems in functional medicine delivery is overwhelm. The future is visual. If you're a holistic or integrative practitioner looking to streamline your steps and build your own creative practice, let me help make it easy and flow channeled for you. 
check out my premium subscription box delivery service. This is the first digital delivery service just for medical practitioners that are trying to put more functional and integrative principles into their practice. Subscribers get monthly deliveries of digital tools right to your inbox. Your first welcome box includes immediate access to over 60 editable functional medicine infographics. Yep, these are designed specifically for functional medicine. It makes your patient explanations easier, adherence is faster, and it's more fun. You also get a complimentary mentoring session with me, a one-on-one Zoom session, so I can help you highlight your bottlenecks and help you sequence your next steps. You also get a free copy of my book, Right Brain Rescue. Now, each month, you will have a new digital delivery box, and it will contain a new infographic release that's also editable, vaulted masterclasses from inside my Catalyst Studio 12-month mentorship, as well as SOPs, templates, and other digital tools you can apply in your clinic. There's no contract you can cancel anytime. It's like having a mini mentorship delivered conveniently right to your inbox. Everyone deserves to paint their own work-life masterpiece, and now we can color outside the lines together. Head to drlarasalier.com forward slash shop and check out the premium subscription box delivery service. I can't wait to work with you. Don't you feel a little grief process? I did when I felt like as most of us in functional medicine with physician training, you know, we go through our own path, our own self-healing, you know, and maybe any family members that are willing to listen to us. Sometimes being a mom isn't helpful in that way, you know, (laughs) but it like, I felt a little grief, like what I went through medical school and we didn't even know, or we're taught this. And, and and that takes a little bit to kind of get over. I mean, do you agree? Did you have a little moment? I think it's a barrier. I think it's a big barrier for a lot of people. They don't want to look at that. They have to look at themselves in the mirror and they'll look good we don't look good for a minute there yeah um, yep. and so you know really it's self-forgiveness which you know is an advanced form of forgiveness yes yes um, when you know better you do better right mm-hmm. yeah you forgive yourself for having been hu- for being human having been human uh, that's a joke from our medical school i don't want to be just human i want to be a doctor um yes. <laughs> so you forgive yourself for being just human and then you realize that you actually still have um, you still have a dream to help people with their health and their lives. And you can still pursue that dream, even though you made a mistake. You didn't know you made a mistake. That is a mistake. A lot of other people make it's okay, but you will now do better. Yes. And I love so, this. Um, I had to go to work because we, you know, wasn't enough money really to go around because of the divorce. And so I went to work at a community health center and there were pros and cons to that. So, you know, con, like I was saying, is we had 15 minutes. We had 11 patients per half day. And so if you count the number of hours in that day, plus the fact that you have to chart, to, to, to write something in the chart, it was really 10 minutes. And you couldn't think, you know how when you give a talk, if your time is really tight, you <laughs> can't go off script. And you know the clock is in front of you and you then yeah. you have a brain blank. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that if you remember in that moment a story and start telling it, you're going to go way over. Yes. Yes. It was like that. It was like the discipline was the only thought in my mind needs to be how do I get out of this room? Yep. Um, and so if it was blood pressure on with, you know, just blood pressure, if it was back pain, just back pain. And so, you know, we, we'd be, be really very limited to those. And, but um, I, was able to order whatever labs I wanted because, you know, it was kind of covered. Medica- Medi-Cal and, Medi- and Medicare would cover these things. And so I got to see hundreds of people's homocysteine and B12 and the things that I had never ordered before. And I got to see how many people are low on vitamin D, like in try to start making some correlations between this sort of person and this sort of lab result. And also, all right, so then we had access to some B vitamins and some magnesium and people were really interested. People were flocking to me. They really wanted the integrative care. Maybe because I'm here in Marin or maybe it is something that people are waking up to. And so I, it went really well. And one of my targets were my patients who were on chronic narcotics and I wanted to see if I could get them off. And um, it was so fun to watch people get off early on. Uh, one got off after I gave her magnesium. Um, wow. 
it was a turn for her. It was a turning point. She just got off of all the meds, all of her narcotics that she was on. Another person by going gluten free. Um, wow! And his story was was crazy because he he had a lot of injuries in his hands, so there was reason to believe he was be stuck on sure. narcotics. Sure. Um, but his brother got diabetes and told him to right after right. I had said that. Yes, yeah. brother. <laughs> Yes, this is the power of community, though, right? And and this is also the I think the sad part about our conventional medicine right now is that it, it upholds certain you know evidence based, which is a wonderful thing. However, like when you are given a diagnosis that you have chronic pain or fibromyalgia or you have a surgery that is going to be painful for the rest of your life, it's like suddenly that's it. That's what you're going to have, and you forget to look at all the other nuances that can influence that pain and inflammation, and um and even in just in England where I was, they have something called pain cafes, which are great community-based places where people can go and meet and they learn about diet, nutrition, and other ways to modulate pain. And it, it's like, what that's what you were doing. You were helping to inspire people to look at things in a different way in this community-based model. But you eventually, I think, transitioned, didn't you? you yeah. A, a, what were those key like ingredients that helped you make that su successful well, change? One of the one of the problems with the community health center was the ten minute appointments. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't really delve into these things with people. And also that after uh, three years of being there and working on my practice in parallel, which was getting busier and busier, I had the people who were going to get better with a functional medicine approach already did. And so the rest of them were people who were stuck with whatever illness they had. And so, my it was really partly me like my that's not where my interest and passion lay at the time because i felt like i was learning this other method that i was really excited about and i wanted to do that and so so i left the health center also i had the chance to write a chapter in a book and all these things were happening at the same time and so i just you know i ran out of time i wanted to focus on functional medicine and you know finally i was making enough money to support myself so um we tried to go back a couple of colleagues and i tried to go back to the community health center and offer an integrated program for for chronic pain actually because it became more and more a focus for them to and we were turned down in no uncertain terms because i thought my the sense i got was you know these are low-income people the community health center feels like it has a chance to give them the best of medicine and it feels like, and to them, it's like alternative medicine is unproven and there's charlatans. And right. It's people, a compromise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it would be, it would not be given. UCSF is the pinnacle, not functional medicine. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the thing that there, you know, the attempt was to give people UCSF level medicine, not magnesium, yeah. vitamin D. So even though I came in with my little, you know, pile of papers saying magnesium reduces chronic pain, vitamin D reduces chronic pain, that, you know, really, there's almost like an eye roll on the other end. And so at that point, I quit and I, fo I focused on the medicine that, you know, even though for me, like, you know, this is the, a sort of the anathema, you know, like there are people coming in paying these high fees, exactly as you described, um, for me to spend an, you know, hour and a half, two hours um, and then start, do some reading on their particular case. I mean, it's absolutely unsustainable from a public health point of view. Um, but at the same time, I really feel that I, what I do is to teach because after a while they leave and sometimes they come back, but after a while they leave to the point where I continue to see two new patients per week because the others have learned their thing. Yes, and, and you're you're in, you're affecting generations to come because I, what they I learn. So. Yeah, you're teaching. So. They're teaching their kids, and so when you devise this micro practice, you mentioned kind of that you're taking a, a play out of the playbook of your ex husband, how he did his psychiatry practice. Tell us how your practice runs to be able to deliver this wonderful functional medicine integrative approach to patients. Um, yeah, so when I transitioned, basically, um, I had been a part of a mom's group, and so I had been doing a lot of teaching on the mom's group about people would mention allergies, and I would say, well, here's a functional medicine approach to allergies that people would mention you know whatever went on we would talk about that and again the moms were highly educated love to read and learn about these things you know Kilmerin moms are really inspiring i mean you you scramble to keep up with them so you know so it was really fabulous so they started coming to see me as patients and um i sort of started learning also from my colleagues how they're doing it 
So we just have, at the beginning, I just was renting space from someone else's clinic two days a week, two mornings a week. So I would fill those mornings with two, two or three people, like, I don't know, nine to 12, whatever, and then go home, you know, and, and do that combination of, of full-time mom, full-time doctor. I remember my first patient, I read about her and wrote her note. It took me an entire week just yep. for that one patient. Yep. Um, and then, you know, so the rhythm is, you know, now the rhythm is three days a week that I see people. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's 11 to 4, but not really like, you know, I've got, I get an hour for lunch usually. Um, and um, I spend usually, it's an hour and a half for the first visit. And then 45, an hour, usually follow-ups an hour. I say 45, but it's usually an hour. And then after that, we meet monthly for either 30 or 45 minutes. That's and beautiful. I tell people that when it is a, a recurrent payment for the month, um, and that we expect the monthly visit, but sometimes people go away on vacation and people do different things. If people have an emergency of some sort, I just reimburse them that month. Um, if people, you know, forget or go on vacation or decide not to, or feel like they've got enough information just by email, then sometimes I'll just skip a month and decide to go to the next month. Um, and then I tell them when you feel like you had enough, when you feel like you don't need that intensity anymore, well, we go off of the payments and we just do whatever frequency you want. And 50-50, um, sometimes I'm the one to say, hey, are you sure you want to meet again next month? Because it's I don't I feel like you could go to yeah. at this point. Um, and I learned because I was doing, I was letting people set all the follow-ups and some people felt abandoned. Right. They feel like they're bothering me by coming. Right. Like, it makes no sense to me. I'm like, I'm here for you like this. I'm at your service. Yes. Um, and anyway, I mean, in what world does it make sense? I get paid when you come. I don't get paid when you don't come. And so, of course, I want to see you for many reasons, but um, I don't want to see you if if it's not going to feel like a win-win. Yes, I think that's wonderful. And and for those listening, I have a lot of uh, practitioners from all different licensures, all different kinds of modalities of business models of practicing functional and integrated medicine. And what you're doing sounds very similar to my model, which is a monthly subscription type payment that then you credit, you know, you get to come in and see us, you know, once a month. But I love that flexibility. And it's very similar. I, I really resonate with that feeling of it's it's 50-50. It's, hey, I'm here to guide you. I'm not here to push you, but I'm here as a, as a guide. And also it gives that patient the idea that they always have you if they need you. You're right there. Um, and it sounds like you're very similar that you have this conversation often of, hey, you're doing great. Maybe you don't need, you know, my help anymore. I can open up a slot for a new person to come in. Um, and, and this is the beauty of being able to have your own rules in your own clinic. Uh, having this micro practice method where you're able to invite people into that therapeutic relationship yeah. for however long you know they need. Yeah, um, exactly. what, yeah what other different. tips? Yeah, what other tips could you give listeners that are thinking, oh, that sounds like an interesting model? Like, what other tips um, have you learned along the way? Well, yeah, so I started with just, <laughs> I started learning to be a businesswoman. So I started just giving people an initial visit and then telling them when their labs are done and they're ready, we'll do a follow up. And at the end of that year and a half where I was making very little money, um, I got a business coach and he said revolutionary idea um, to divide my income by the number of new people I had seen that year. And it turns out that actually people had gotten an average of less than two visits somehow. And then as the practice got older, um, people started coming back and saying, I'm so sorry I got distracted and didn't return. And I'm so sorry because I'm worse now. Can you help? And then I thought, well, that, you know, is there a way here to, to make it so that, first of all, I need more income. I have more to offer. And these mm -hmm. people aren't getting it in part because life intervenes. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I, I designed a sort of a package. Like, why don't you pay for everything? It was initially, it was a two-visit package. Mm -hmm. Pay for those two visits up front. And then the packages got longer. And um, But then what I realized with the packages, the packages ended with COVID mm -hmm. because, first of all, people had been pulling out, spreading out the package. 
So instead of coming on a regular basis, they might, you know, be yep. six months in between. And that's not good because you no. lose momentum and they don't know what they're doing anymore. Right. Um, so I didn't like it very much, but I also I didn't want to be putting in legal language saying, you know, if you're longer than this many months and we start over, ah, yeah. don't like that sort of thing. And I really felt like maybe my experience from community health centers, like I don't know what's going on in that person's life. Um, I'm here for them. Um, it's not, I'm not here to impose some kind of structure and then try to shoehorn them into it. And then with COVID, there were a couple of people who really lost jobs, you know, were in the restaurant industry or whatever, and then just begged me for their money back. And of course, it's COVID times. So I gave them their money back. And I thought, this is a huge liability to have all these people who've paid ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And by the way, my budget works is that that's going to spent a semi-spent mm-hmm. right and now I have a liability to all these people who don't want their visits anymore and it's hardship and I can't say not to this one woman she'd even been in a fire I mean there's just no way I'm not going to give her her money back like that's not even a, a option ever yeah so I thought let's do something different and that's where I came up with a subscription and then at first mm-hmm. I realized that yeah but that doesn't membership doesn't really work with insurance insurance doesn't reimburse membership so now we have this idea that we're expecting a visit and the month, mm-hmm. the payments are automatic. Um, so the expectation is we're going to go forward with this and it's going to be an active act to decide not to, because we don't feel like it's needed and it's no shame, no blame. I'm not going to hate you as a patient because you pulled out after three months instead of six months. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. In fact, you got better faster. That was kind of fun. Right. Right. That's, that's awesome. And yeah. so it sounds like, do you then take insurance in this model as well? No, we, we do give people super bills if they ask okay. us yep. for it, but I am not signed up with any of the insurance companies. And a couple of reasons for that. One is, was the my ex-husband's experience where we worked hard to get him in a couple of different in, you know, insurance companies, and then they gave him a lot of problems with reimbursements and stuff. And so I thought, maybe I don't want to do that. He stopped doing that. I stopped. I thought maybe. And then a friend of mine who was someone I really looked up to a lot, um, worked for um, trying to open a functional medicine clinic not far from here and signed up under Medicare. And he said it was horrible. He literally was paying to practice between, yeah. between uh, renting a place um, and, and license and insurance, small practice uh, and some educational, right? He was paying to practice. He was making nothing. And what I love about how you've so candidly described your journey is you took elements of what you love the best out of other careers that you had, other chapters of your medical career, and you found your way in renting a space only a couple times a week and gradually getting bigger and then experimenting with models that didn't work, right? Like you did packages for a bit, didn't feel like that worked really well. Like you said, people would space out or kind of hoard their visits and wait a while. And then you're yeah, starting it's back. It's almost and- like they hoard their visits, right? And you're yeah. like, oh, we're going to yeah. be done faster if we, yes. if we just pedal to the metal for a few months. And you're, this is the priority in your life because yes. it's interrupting the flow of your life. Yes. Um, yes. And I think I think that's a common experience. That's what I had in my small community. People didn't quite understand that functional medicine works best if you're just consistently pushing forward and getting that support. Um, and so I love that you've just kept reinventing your way of doing things and now have come across, you know, and settled on this beautiful method that, you know, it's a, a co-partnership, a subscription membership model, whatever word you want to use, but it's a monthly, you know, fee that they're allowed to to pay and, and to have support with you. And you're just kind of exemplifying the idea that there isn't one right way for anybody to practice an integrative or functional approach. You can experiment and and try and fail forward, fail fast, fail often, fail upward, and just keep iterating on what works best for you that gave you that flexibility to take care of your kiddos. You sent your last one off to college today. Um, and so I love that you're embracing this. Do you have any ideas of what you may want to do in the future? Or are you really happy with how things are going as it is now? Um, yeah, I am happy the how things with things are, are the way things are going. I still feel like I am a little bit the center of the family. These kids are now 18, 21, 23. But you know, they're like, you know, bees to honey, right? They're hovering around somehow a lot all the time. And I feel like I want to be here for that. My mom is 92. And she's really still very important to me. <laughs> I'm thinking, just how do I keep going? Because it's important to have that figure in your life, that person. 
even though it's three days a week and those crazy banker hours that we used to call them, right? I love them for, I just hate them. Because, you know, in medicine, right, we have like a, uh, an expectation that the right thing to do is those hundred hours that we were putting mm-hmm. in residency, right? And that if you do any less than that, you're just whining, right? Yep. And it's like, no, somehow I'm like, well, but the rest of the days I'm studying and I'm, you know, charting and I'm, you know, answering the, the Facebook group we have is amazing because... It's inspiring. I want to read about something so that I can share or organize my thoughts. Or, And without that, I wouldn't have to offer what I have to offer. And so um, it, it, it anyway, so I, I still work a lot of hours. And so actually, believe it or not, uh, at some point in the future, fewer clinical hours than that will probably be ideal. I have a book I want to write. Well, it's not. And it's about the low tech, low cost you know, um, approaches that I think are so fundamental and that I've been using like fasting, you know, tapping, you know, there are some yes. things that are incredibly, incredibly helpful to people and yet are free. And so, yes. Oh, I love it. I can't wait. I want to be the first to read your book because you <laughs> do have such a compelling story. You've really shown uh, what it's like to reinvent your medical career and make it fit your work-life masterpiece. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe exactly like what you said about, I want to be a full-time doctor and a full-time mom. I feel like it's a masterpiece to be able to invite worlds together to create your own life on your own terms with your own values and your own mission. And you've done this so beautifully that I can imagine you're able to flex and move and and expand and contract your hours, whatever you need to you know, take care of your wonderful mom who's living into her hundreds, I bet, and your kids. Um, this is fantastic. So besides publishing a book in your future, how do you like to play? If you were in, you know, gifted a free Saturday, um, what would we find you doing for fun? Oh, I think my garden is the main thing in my life. And then I love to go hiking and backpacking around here. I'm still able to go backpacking. <laughs> But, you know, it's now I'm veteran 61 and this is a year where I'm starting to think like, oh, that's funny. That's his body isn't going to be this way forever. And it's not going any place that I prefer for it to go right now. But anyway, it's okay because you find new things that you can do. Yes. Um, So that and also just connecting with people. I think that a lot of us are having more time in our lives right now as the kids are getting more independent. Um, So I'm noticing that it's uh, suddenly uh, socially busier. Than, than I've been right. and the sort of the quiet years of, of just being home with three little boys are sort of coming to an end you know, even, right. you know I, I wanted to change that because I remember the years before that I'm like we're all the friends for dinner what happened yeah. you know? <laughs> and somehow um that seems to be uh, on its own sort of reviving and um so that's kind of what I'm what I'm doing I think that mo- that's that's most, most that's of what plenty oh my gosh that's I a do. lot yeah, oh, I, mean, I don't want to do a whole lot of this. I don't yeah. want to do a whole lot of travel. Like some people mm-hmm. travel, that's the thing they want to do. I don't know. I kind of find that. I mean, I love it. Sure. But I find it disruptive. I'd rather grow a garden. I am so with you. I think we're besties in that way. I think it's funny as I talk to my kids that are now venturing into adulthood and, you know, as I coach and mentor other practitioners trying to design their ideal practice on their own terms. It's funny that we all sort of assume that everyone has the same goals of metrics for success. Oh, well, I have to be traveling all the time. That's what I, I need to do. And then when you when you ask somebody, sometimes there is a reality check of, well, wait, actually, I don't really like traveling very much. Okay, well, then maybe that's not your your goal. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's, yeah, and I'm like you, I like, yeah, I like to have my own free time at home. I mean, I, I will only travel a few times a year, but what I do miss, and I agree with you is, I miss the friendships and I'm so excited to see you eventually at a, at a conference and to see these people that I've grown to love over the years that I've really never met. Um, this is the era where we can have our golden girls years and like meet other people and really enjoy this, this learning and growth. And so I'm just so happy that you're, you're here serving your patients and helping us, you know, as physicians in our Facebook groups, you've been just a light of wisdom. So I just want to say thank you for all you do. Thank you. And thank you. You know, I wanted to say a short story thing that came to mind. Um, one of my interviews in medical school was this uh, This woman interviewed me and she was actually staff, uh, medical school staff. She wasn't a doctor. And one question she asked me that really has stuck with me. 
is as a woman, how will you uh, be able to manage the demands of being a doctor? And that's interesting because she's asking me this in 1982, right? Right. And, um, it's not the same world. And she's sort of looking back at what the price of being a doctor, the cost of being a doctor was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 60s, 70s. And I've had going forward, but it's, of course, this question would be absolutely not allowed at an interview. Right. <laughs> But it is a it's such it was such an important question and it is interesting that it stayed with me, you know, 38 years into whatever. I can't count how many years from 82, 40 years into it, yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's a question that you're right, would be so taboo now because it is, it's just is. And I am just so grateful for leaders like you. I mean, you really are a catalyst, all these little things you're doing with massive impact. And so I'm just grateful to know you. And thank you again for spending you. an hour. If you're interested in learning more about Dr. Mirto Ash, she is at unconventionalmedicine.net. I love that name. And I'll put all of her information in the show notes. So thank you for listening. And please like, subscribe, and share this episode to another colleague who might be inspired to think outside, to color outside the lines and reinvent their medical career in new ways they never expected. Thanks. And we'll hear you again next time. Are you feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by your busy medical practice? Are you struggling to find the energy and passion you once had? I understand, especially challenges that come with burnout in the medical field. I've experienced it myself and I've dedicated my life to helping others overcome it using the neuroscience of flow acquisition. That's why I've created a playful 10 question assessment designed to help you measure your burnout and ability to get back into flow. Come play rock, paper, scissors. Your score will be matched to a persona. Are you a rock stable in your values, but difficult to motivate into action? You might avoid time management. So you're really not sure if you're making progress. Are you paper? You follow what the path should be on paper, but you might have difficulty making decisions with what matters most to you. Or are you scissors, happy to be busy, clip, clip, clipping along and smashing those goals, but you're suffering depleted energy and feeling exhausted. Your score will be tallied and you will receive a customized plan sent straight to your inbox. This catalyst compass is designed to jumpstart your journey to overcome burnout and find renewed energy. Don't let burnout take over your life. Take control today and just invest 90 seconds of your time to get your own catalyst compass. Visit drlarasalier.com forward slash catalyst and click the let's play button to unlock the path to a more balanced, passionate, and fulfilling work-life masterpiece. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Catalyst Podcast. My vision is a world without burnout, and my mission is to teach 1 million medical professionals how to tap into creativity and flow to increase joy and well-being. We all deserve a medical career that is self-expressive, unique, and creative. You can help by signing up for my newsletters. One of my highest values is gratitude, so I love giving back. And each newsletter is gamified. The more you share, the more you win. It's easy to sign up. Just go to drlarasalier.com forward slash win. Thank you for coloring outside the lines with me.